Forgive me if I rhyme, but it's our time. Time to get everybody up off the sideline. No more second guessing what's next. Authentic narratives on the Hendel Media Project. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Hendel Media Project, the place online where we have authentic conversations on immigration reform. And today I have the pleasure of welcoming Martin Mejia. Um, how are you doing today, Martin? I'm doing well, just getting through work and such. How yeah, are you doing? Uh, same, just getting through work and such. Um, so, first question I wanted to ask you was, uh, you said you were a Pokemon trainer on your profile. Now, now, <laughs> now, now how true is that? That is 100% true, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I started playing when I was a young lad and 20 years ago, uh -huh. because Pokemon started 20 years ago. And uh, since then, I've been playing every single game. Uh, and even when the Pokemon Go came out, when everyone got crazy and started the phones out, you know, I was involved in that mess as well. Yeah. Um, so tell me. So I mean, here for me the same. I think I burnt out on Pokemon around like gold and silver. After that, I think I pretty much uh, burnt out. But um, tell me, uh, what was your introduction to Pokemon? What would you say uh, lured you in? Uh, it was video games like, in the beginning because. Um, I guess when I started, it was the very first game, Pokemon Red, and I played it with because my parents got me a Game Boy Color as a gift when I turned, I don't know, seven or six. And again, Pokemon started in 1996, so it was around that time. And I was very into video games at that time. You know, I was playing Street Fighter with my dad in the arcades when we were doing laundry and such. We played Miss Pac-Man. And he saw that I have a love for video games, and then he got me that Game Boy, and then since then it just started on that. Uh, I also did watch the show back as a kid. Never really understood it. Watching him as an adult right now, it's like he's really corny, but you know, you still have a little nostalgia for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, same for me. My my parents bought me um, the yellow Game Boy uh, for yeah. the for the yellow version. And um, I mean, I've just been hooked ever since. So when Pokemon Go came out, I, you know, and, and today, I mean, I think just yesterday I was walking around still catching them, even though like the craze has de has kind of died down, I'm still out there trying to catch them all. So it's uh, right. it's uh, great to meet a fellow Pokemon trainer. <laughs> it's always great. And I think that's the beauty of it because it unites someone and unites people yeah. who you never thought would be friends before. No, uh, exactly. And so um, for myself, I think, I was having dinner with like a fa uh, friend's family, and I was I started talking about it, and like the most random person who I never expected to be into Pokemon was like, "I have a collection at home. Do you want to buy some off me? Like, let's trade, let's compare cards." Exactly, but you're right. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, and um, like I said, uh, one of my best friends from like since elementary school, uh, we barely have time to hang out because of my work schedule and her work schedule as well. But when I was at home for a while back, uh, Pokemon just came out, and she and I asked her, "So, what do you think about this?" She's like, "I love it. I have up to like fifty right now." I'm like, "You want to go to the park?" And she's like, "Yeah, let's go." And I was like, "Static." Yeah, it's and beautiful. Of course, yeah, yeah. Especially, so yeah, go ahead. Oh uh, yeah, it was just basically that that reconnection with old people, old friends, connection with making new friends and such. It's really a good time. Yeah, and so like I, I um, you know, myself like through this uh, immigration reform show that I started uh, last year, um, that's essentially similar to what I wanted to do: is show people how like, you know, 
immigration reform or conversations don't just have to be about like work. You know, it could be having fun conversations. It could be about having conversations that unites people. Um, so speaking of that, you know, I know you're friends with uh, Rosa, correct? Yes, Rosa. Yes. Uh, you know, I did one of my great interviews with her last week. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed your friend Yesenia also. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, here I'm interviewing you. And, you know, so, um, you know, it, it, I'm glad to be meeting people as I go. And, of course. and learning different stories. So, um, you know, I, I'd love to get to know you. I know you, uh, you're you from Delaware, correct? Yes. Uh, well, I was born in New Jersey, and yeah, then I moved down to off, Delaware. Yeah, started yeah. off for me. So I was born in New Jersey. I moved to Delaware in 2000, and uh, that's where I got to meet Jesenia. We met at a young age. Um, then later on down the road, you know, I grew up in Delaware, all the whole middle school, high school, everything. During college, I uh, reconnected with Jesenia because she was looking for um, members for her Delaware Dream Team at the time. Right. Once uh, I didn't have anything else to do, so I was like, you know, I'll do it. I always kind of wanted to do, get more involved in my community. Yeah, let's do this. And through that, I met so many wonderful people, first from the regional people from New Jersey, like uh, uh, the formerly known NJ Dag crew, um, the Dreamers Coalition. And also more members from New York City, from Make the Road, New York. Um, And then eventually I started meeting more and more people and became more and more personal because of the stories. Uh, Me, personally, I never really had a motivation because, again, born in Jersey. But it became more of a motivation once I remembered, like, not everyone has the privileges I have. And looking even back at my family, not all my family are from here, including my parents. So we've, I've, you know, been thinking about them every time I travel to these type of meetings, these types of um, reforms, marches, protests. Yeah. It's always more of a, a returning favor for them because my dad always, he, it's more of a joke for him, but he always like kind of goes like, you know, if I'm one of these, I'm just gonna move back to Mexico, get right. start my family farm again because you don't want to do anything with your life or whatever. It wasn't really just, it was kind of like a kick to the butt. So like, come on, just get out there and work or something. And once I went to college, you know, I realized that, yes, this is what I'm going to kind of dedicate my life to for construction and such, which is what I'm doing right now. But at the same time, it was more like a, I have to do this to kind of like repay what my parents did for me for yeah. sacrificing their life to come here. Right. And so, so talk to me about um, what, what stories do your parents tell you about where they come from that motivate you today? Um, well, when I was a boy, when I was a small boy, I went to Mexico by around the age of, I don't know, six, seven. Mm-hmm. I was still in New Jersey. And uh, so I was very young. It was under the eight. But um, I went to Mexico and I saw everyone. I saw my family's you know, parents. I saw my aunts and uncles, which is by the dozens and um i saw a lot of people but when i came back i would always hear the stories of like oh that street that's the fame that's the street that i always going down to pick bread up oh that place that's the place i um we always went to the store and then they had they had a little sale on oh that person that's your uncle he always you know came in and gave, gave us a little song or something like that and you know kind of seeing it and going back and forth every time I, would, I can to Mexico, 
and always they tell me something new about the place that I just visited. It could be like um, a house that I always say hi to the people, and I would think they're very friendly. But the reason is because they know my parents so much from like when they were younger. They always talk. They always hang out, and it's that kind of reconnection that I want to see again. For not from my point of view, but from their point of view. Right. That's why um, back in 2014, I worked me, my mom, and her family members, brother and sisters, uh, worked hard to get her um, permanent re- residency. And she was able to qualify, and she got it within last year. Though the process did take extremely long. I remember they started working in 2001, but they just now got to um, her recently, and she was able to go back to Mexico and see the connections. So instead of me seeing the places and she telling me where it is or what it means to her, it's more of a, I, saw, I get to see her reconnect with old people, reconnect with her friends, reconnect with her family, and it was just... You know, mind-boggling to me. You know, because here I am, just seeing them after two years' absence, as opposed to her twenty years' absence. Right. Yeah. T- tell me about that moment. I mean, first, can you talk to me a little bit about that process? You know, and just like the length that it took to uh, achieve the permanent residency. Well, I. Well, to be honest, I didn't really pay much attention to it when I was younger. I just remember that they had to go through lawyers and. Back in 2001, when we just started to move down to Delaware, because her family members are here in Delaware, and when they went to, you know, through that whole process, we didn't really pay much attention to it. I did ask a couple of times once I started getting into the group movement, which was early 2012, but we couldn't really do anything to it because apparently it was like we were waiting more for me to come of age of either 18 or 21. And even then, we still delayed it because of some things I was doing. At the time, I was going to college, and they were saying, focus on your studies or go to work, and then we can focus on her. But, um, yeah, the lawyer was really helpful for us. Um, At the same time, we also had another incident with my dad, um, work-related incident. It wasn't nothing with, like, ice or uh, or anything. It was just um, that just kind of put my mom's status on a back burner at the same time. So now that, you know, we waited so much time, we did everything. We kind of stayed low. We stayed off the radar. We just um, decided to finally get it happening. Once I put my name there, once my cousin also put his name there to help her out and um, get the whatever was necessary for the requirements, she was able to get her permanent residency. And it was a, after the, you know, the approval, it wasn't much of a wait. It was more of a put it in there wait a while, get approval, wait another small while, and within like a year or so, probably a bit more later, because of that lengthy process she had prior, uh, she was able to get more quicker than usual. It sounds like a lot. It sounds like it's a lot of work. And to be honest, I feel like the only reason she got it, like again, the only reason she got it more faster than usual was probably because she had a application back in 2001. Right. And she was able to pull that back up and say, hey, I've been through this, so can... It's kind of like saying, hey, I got the VIP pass, and let me go through the line so I get the real right. co- coaster faster. And had that application not been in the system, like, all the It would probably take another five years or so, and since right. 2012. So I was, they, she wouldn't have gone to Mexico in 2014. She would have been probably in Mexico by 2020. And that's uh, not a pretty picture to see. That's crazy. You know, I, I'm <laughs> just thinking about my parents and just thinking, 
you know, what if my parents hadn't been able to, I mean, I've been fortunate that my parents have um, been able to travel um, back to their home countries and see their families. My dad wasn't documented at one point um, when he first came to this country. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking sometimes, like, what our parents have to wait for and go through um, and sacrificing a lot for, for us. Um, of course. Can, can you talk to me about uh, your beginnings in, within the immigration movement? You, know, you said that, you know, it was a kind of a situation where you didn't have much to do um, and then you kind of joined up. Uh, I'd love to hear about that. Well, when I started, uh, again, um, Jacenia asked me to join the movement, and I, I wasn't too iffy on it. I was very, I was a junior in college. I just, um, I was working a lot on my, focusing on my studies and such, working a lot in the school. But um, outside of school, I didn't really have much to do because of, you know, it was either go to school, stay in school, and then weekends just, just goof off, be free. But I realized, you know, there's a lot of stuff that was going on prior to then. There was a lot of stuff that was going on to, um, what's it called? There was a lot of stuff that was going on in the Dream Act in 2010. So um, I thought, you know, might as well get more involved in it. I have more pay attention because there's things that I can involve my own family and my friends. And again, I didn't start off like the most, you know, well-known person that was brand new didn't know much of anything. I just knew this is stuff that's right. This is stuff that I believe in. I can do it. It wasn't, you know, I know all of the law. I know some of the law. No, I know had no knowledge to it. Right. So coming and seeing the regional people that we know and love, like um, Lucia Lian and others, it was like opening to hear that, like, all the process they go through, all the ideas that everyone was shouting out to see. And it was more welcoming for, um, it was more like open because, I, again, I didn't know much about law. That means I also did not know much about politics as well. Okay. So now I know my senators. Now I know my governors. And I still know more Democrats, Republicans, this and that. And after that, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to keep going, staying on this meeting more people and fight the right fight. And from that point on, I, I guess I was never like the most open person before it, but after it, I became more open because I knew what I wanted to actually like, fight for. Okay. I had something to stand for. Right. I mean, that sounds like a, like a moment of self-discovery. Yes, that's exactly what I feel like. And, um, yeah, it was more of a moment of self-discovery, more of a moment of, like, I want, like, I want more people to feel this emotion at the same time. Mm. I want, like, more people to join. Yeah, uh, can you tell me, you know, what's, what's one moment that, um, you know, really stood out to you where you felt like, wow, like, I'm really helping to make a difference here? You know, because there are plenty of moments in, in this type of work where, you know, it just feels like we're failing all the time, we're failing ourselves, we're failing our communities, um, but you know, there are those rare special moments where you just say, wow, like we did something special here. Can you tell me one or two of those moments? I feel like one of the moments is going to be, uh, one of the, going to be uh, like the most known moment, but, um, I'll tell you anyways. Uh, one moment I had when Delaware Dream Team started to look like a team and they actually had like more people, the whole 
it wasn't just north of Delaware, it was like whole south. And Delaware was pretty small, but still, we want the whole state to get together and work together. Uh, one of my best friends, uh, Ceci Pilo, she was working one day, and I was working one day, until I got a call from her and saying, Martin, did you hear the news? I was like, I don't know. I did not hear the news. I'm working. I can't hear the news. She said, well, check your Facebook, check anything, and check the news right now. I checked it, and it was on May 15th. It was the day that DACA was approved. It was okay. a it was announced and such, and it was mind-boggling to me because that I remember hearing every, like a few days at, before that everyone was preparing for virtuals, march, protests, everything. We ourselves did a small virtual in front of this, a church, and it was like our small action helped contribute to a larger action, which helped contribute to pave the way for DACA. And that was the more that was the first moment, more of a not because of that. Yes, that was involved. But more because of my friend, Ceci, who told me, Martin, can you hear, did you hear the news? We did it. And it was like, she made, and whether I was the first one or not, it was just the pure gladness and happiness that I heard her say it. Her being the one that needed it at the time. Yeah. So. Um, I, think, I think that's important, you know, those types of stories, because... You know, sometimes like when you hear on the news, like 30,000 permits were issued, right? Um, you know that there's a sentiment of happiness somewhere for some people. But I think that when it's people that are close to you, who are affected by it, and like you're just so happy that their life is about to change, um, it, it, it really helps re-motivate you, reignite, you know, and, and you know, just be happy. Um, and I think that when we talk about authentic conversations, that's what I would like to see more of is for people to be happy for each other, to celebrate the moments together. Um, because sometimes a lot of information and data and like, you know, organizing techniques and strategies that you don't always get to hear, like, you know, someone say, I was so happy for you because, you know, this is going to change your life. So, you know, thank you for uh, sharing that with me. Um, yeah. uh, where, where have you uh, traveled to um, in this type of work? I'd love to know. It's uh, a list. So uh, you better have your toes open because it's a lot. Yeah. So I work with a company called Bell for Property Restoration and uh, I don't want to sing that like that's a plug-in for you. But um, they sent me to work on uh, traveling because of natural disasters, such as a flood or a fire, uh, earthquake, tornadoes, and that such. And to be, since the beginning, I went to Baltimore, which is, you know, Baltimore is like right next door. It's like an hour away from my house, so it's not that big of a deal. But after that, I never traveled really like two states away. The farthest I've gone before that was Kentucky. By myself but now I went to Texas Oregon Mich uh, Michigan Minnesota Iowa um, what's it called? Wisconsin Illinois Indiana California Arizona Texas again Washington DC and Baltimore Boston Massachusetts Connecticut Rhode Island 
Florida twice because of both of hurricanes, Louisiana, uh, Alabama, Mississippi. I passed by North Carolina and Georgia, but I haven't worked there. And I pass by Georgia all the time because that's the uh, plane where the, all the planes go. But uh, right now, I'm currently in North Carolina. Damn, that's all I have to say. <laughs> oh man, like it's it's either either I'm working, I'm on a plane, or I'm barely at home. It's one of the three. Wow. And um, so so tell me more about the nature of, of that work. Um, I know it has to do, you know, like you said, like with um, natural disasters and storms. Um, you know. Tell, tell, well, tell me more about that. All right, so I'll tell you. Uh, my favorite one is usually the first one, which is well, actually not the first one. It's actually right now where well, was using in uh, Houston, Texas. Uh, there was a flooding over there. You know, a lot of homes got affected. A lot of business, businesses got affected, and um, you know it was really rough. Hell, I went there. Not even the day it still went down. There were still road closures. So me going from the shop, the you know the office telling me, go down to this place. This is where you need a person. I went down there, having to be a flood in my way. So uh, a normal 15-minute drive would take three hours because of all the traffic. Um, but what was more amazing is just seeing a community of people coming together for help calls. And I'm not just talking about the people I worked with. I'm talking more of um, just people outside. There was a lot of people going like, hey, we're from a church. We're here to try to pick up any donations. Do you have anything? Hey, we're from uh, this organization. We're trying to help people. Do you have anything? And it was more of daunting to me to see that in action as opposed to seeing the commercial saying, we're trying to help this pop. Please text blah, blah, blah to text to $10. Right. And to see in action more, not from big organizations, but from like local churches was more daunting to me, more better to me because I see they're actually doing something as opposed to just, you know, saying they're going to do something. And that was recent, and that was back in May. Mm -hmm. that so what do you, what do you think uh, um, people miss, like, in the headlines when, um, you know, you hear about rescue efforts? Like, what, what are they missing, like, on the, you know, um, from, like, the personal, like, on-the-ground stories? I think when, like, national news, you, you would hear about the Hurricane Matthew, what happened in Florida. You would hear all that. And, um, You'll hear death tolls, damage is done, this, you know, all the negativity because that always brings ratings to the media. But you will never hear about the reconstruction of it, the community coming together. You will never hear about, like, how people are helping out one another. Yes, you're here, you, you will hear, like, rescues, but it's becoming just a little bit more often found because of, you know, our social media saying Snapchat, uh, Instagram, some people are now recording it everywhere and seeing it blow up viral, which is great. It's more of the things I want to see on my timeline. Right. Yes or no, but you know, I kind of want to see more people helping out each other. But um, you know, more media won't cover that, which is sad because I want to see, instead of seeing death toll rises up to 600, I want to see a local, local church helps out a group of people who need shelter. And that's that's something that we'll, you won't see like front headlines. You'll see like you know, see page six for this right. story. Exactly. Yeah, and um, I think I think that's a lot of um, you know whether it's uh, natural disasters or immigration reform or like issues to do with racial justice. Like sometimes you get the big headlines, but then like you miss like what's at the heart of it. Um, 
so I want to ask you, um, during this like daunting time in our um, political history right now, um, what do you think is the best ways, you know, for example, so for example, both of us were Latino, we both had the privilege of being U.S. citizens. Um, what do you think is the most important way to be an ally right now to the um, undocumented community? Um, I want to say help support more or, less, more or less, but don't try to be the front guy. So, you know? so talk to me more about that. Talk, talk to me about what, what that looks like. So more or less it's like uh it's kind of more of like a check your privilege type of thing. And I've kind of explained this to my friends back uh when I was home in Philly. Uh it was I want to help out my friends. I want to help out, you know, the undocumented group. I want to go out and help them help them out in their rallies, help them out tell their stories, help them out do their things. But I don't want to say I took credit for it because, you know, I'm documented. I've I'm able to do that. I want to push their agenda. Not because it'll help push my agenda, but because it'll help, help push theirs, mainly for their purpose. Whether it helps me in the end or not, that's not that's not my point of view. That's not my you know, that's not in my head until like probably years later, if even. It's more of a, I want this person to be able to succeed in the way I can. I want this person to be able to do the things I can without worrying about legal immigration, without worrying about ICE, without worrying about anything at all and I, if I do that I will not take credit for it I will not if, unless you know they want to say and I couldn't have done it without more whatever but I don't want someone saying oh they only did that because this documented person helped them no I don't, they did that because they could and they could and they just helped push them along the way yeah I mean that's that's very helpful um, you know for people to know um, you know, what other uh, types of challenges do you think people face in this in um, organizing work? I mean, I like to talk a lot about, you know, challenges, obstacles, you know, how we're looking to address them. You know, I think first you have to speak out, you know, challenges. So, for example, um, I think last year I had a big thing about, like, executive directors and, like, how they, like, pound organizers into the ground and, like, you know, don't give them the credit that they deserve, the resources that they deserve. Um, so, you know, any, any, any big challenges that you feel uh, is impeding, um, the growth or health of, um, this type of movement where people are tired and like, just, but need to keep going? I think it's that, I think it's that mentality of we can't stop, won't stop thing. I'm not saying that's a bad mentality. I'm just saying you gotta also kind of think of yourself when it comes to that type of thing. The self-healing, you know? I'm not, you know, I'm always a fan of people keep on pushing forward to what they believe in, keep on pushing forward to what they do, you know, training every day, training nonstop. But there has to be a point where the body can't take it, where the mind can't take it. Just like a body won't be, um, just like a body won't move after like 12, 14, or even 18 hours of straight hour to hour work, and you give it rest by sleeping or even, the mind has to do the same. The mind has to like calm down, go like, okay. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, you know, maybe write a poem. I'm gonna draw. Maybe just enjoy some music sometimes. You know, take a, take some time for yourself. And it becomes, you know, because if you keep doing that, you become just more tired, more mad, more depressing, and it affects the others around you as well. You know, it doesn't just affect yourself. It affects 
others around you. And if that goes on, it keeps you on multiplying until either someone says, until someone snaps everyone out of it or until that person rests and, you know, becomes fully healed again, fully ready to go. Yeah, I mean, um, so we're uh, at the 30-minute mark, so that means that that's how quick these interviews go, these conversations. Um, wow. So, you know, these last 10 minutes, I, I want to get to know Martin a little bit more. You know, you, you mentioned that, you know, you, you like to draw, you like to write poetry. Um, you know, can, can, can you talk to me about those uh, interests and how they uh, benefit you? Um, well, drawing is not my motif. It's just like something to doodle. That's okay. about it. But uh, poetry is a bigger part of me. Uh, I started back in high school. I had just like a little, few love poems. And it grew to more love poems by last year, September. I got a book published. Oh, wow. And, okay. Yeah, I was able to, you know, start. Since, because last year I also started traveling, I was able to just perform wherever I, work sent me. And I was able to give out books and such. Is your uh, and, book available online? or? Yes, but I have limited right now okay. because I'm starting to run low. But if the demand is high, I will be able to print some more. Okay. So. I mean, if there's a link, you know, I can definitely link it to like this post and like. It's more of a it's more of a reach me on social media type of thing. Okay, I so, used to have so, a website, but you know, I could never really keep up with it. Okay, so so uh, what what was the um so what was the contents of the book in in terms of the first one is more, mainly on um love. Okay. It's called from the heart of the hopeless romantic, not from the mind of the hopeless romantic. I gave him a book that's confused, and uh, it's more on love, the perception of different angles, whether it's a good thing, a bad thing. A long distance thing, a very close thing, abusive, and such and such. Wow. And I try to, you know, it's, it comes mainly from a lot of my experiences, but it also comes from other people's experiences as well. Now, another thing I want to do mention, I do, I do commonly write love poems, but I try to expand more on other stuff. Right now, the next book I'm hopefully trying to publish by next March, this upcoming March, actually, because next year, uh, it's called From the Heart of the Traveling Warrior. Now... It does come with me because of I travel and such, but also does come because I've kind of wanted to, you know, push forward the ideals of how hard it is to become an immigrant, how hard it is to be an immigrant in uh, the United States and their stories and such. Whether it's the story of a distant, about a father who's working hard, can't see his family every day, but is willing to talk through Skype or modern technology to see his kid and his wife. Or a story about the wife that's waiting for the father to either come back or being able to take them to this land. And I want to more expand on that type of writing. Now, sadly, I'm not sure when, if I'll be able to get it to um, be published by March, but I'm hoping to. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that all sounds like great, deep work. And, you know, I, I hope that... Um Although, you know, we're able to put a link of something there or, like, contact you to be able to get, you know, a little sample of, uh, of uh, your <laughs> um, work. Well, all my work is usually published through Facebook right now. I haven't been publishing lately because of this work. Lately, it's been a bit more uh, heavy on me because it's, like, back-to-back -back hurricanes and such and such. Yeah. But uh, I haven't been publishing lately because I kind of want to keep the second book more secretive mm. as, uh, as well. Got it, got but uh, most of my work is on Facebook. And just add me and look it up or it's public as well. You see on my notes. Or um, you, you can, again, 
most of my stuff on social media is the doctor of de one word and it's either on snapchat instagram twitter if you want to i don't use it but there, if any methods to just see my work or even see my videos, oh, snap, uh, YouTube as well, which is also linked within all the three of those. Okay, I mean, we'll I'll check it out and definitely link it to this interview. Um, <laughs> all right, so to wrap up, um, you know, Martin, I want to ask you. At the beginning of this interview, you spoke about your connection or or the inspiration that you drew from connecting with people in Mexico, correct? That's where you said your family's from. Yes, Mexico. Mexico. Um, and then later on being able to, you know, have your mom go back to Mexico and, and you know, looking, uh, being able to experience the country with her. Um, can you can you tell me about, you know, just what you wish for people, you know, who are in a situation where their parents can't go back and see or, you know, they themselves not necessarily can't go back, um, especially, you know, during this political climate. You know, what, what, what do you wish for them in the future? I kind of wish, the main thing I do want to say is, like, I hope that they don't lose faith or I hope they still remain hopeful that they will reconnect with their families in a physical way because obviously we can all Skype, we can all snap, uh, send videos to each other, we can all do this and that, the talks, but there's nothing like the physical presence of a warm hug from their um family member that they really need every once in a while. And there's something that has become more of a, how you say, more dawning on me personally because of all this traveling, I barely see my family. Mm. And every time I see them, it's like they give me the biggest hugs. And I saw that at the same time when my mom went to Mexico and saw her sister for the first time in God knows how long. Mm. And I just want everyone to know that I wish they'd stay remain hopeful and use that hope, use that, you know, that small inspiration to push forward to organize and not just wait for someone else to say, oh, we did this, so you guys can have DACA, as an example. Mm-hmm. I want everyone to just remember it's better to have, it's better to work all together as one instead of just have some people do the work, to, even if organizing is not your thing. Uh, I, and I just want to say this, first of all, uh, I'm not the best organizer. I never was the best organizer, even in the Love 1G team. I was just the main guy to contact everyone to make sure everyone got their, you know, everything got, you know, got the information, everyone got, you know, up to speed. Mm-hmm. I was never the best organizer, but I still try to help out as many people as possible. Yeah. And that's the thing. You're not, you don't have to be the best organizer. You don't have to be the best logistics person. You don't have to be even a person that knows any politics, as long as you can give out your two cents to everyone else, it can become such a powerful thing in this movement. Those are very deep, very inspiring words, Martin. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of this interview series. You know, I think, um, again, no two stories are alike. And, you know, by talking to your friends and talking to you, you know, these stories are so distinct, but also, but, you know, the heart is, uh, is there, you know, the heart of, you know, friendship and people just looking to create social change for each other. So um, thank you so much for, you know, all the work you've done over the few years and like, you know, all the work that you're doing right now, you know, chasing storms out there for those <laughs> of us who, who, you know, don't want to chase storms or be in the snow. But, uh, th- you know, I want to, I want to thank you for uh, the work that you're doing out there. Well, thank you very much for actually having, giving me a chance to actually speak out on this. I actually never thought 
for for a reason. I never thought I would actually be in an interview with you, but you know, thank you for reaching out. Like, yeah, no doubt. Again, just keep doing keep doing your thing, and you know, um, you know, I know all the people that uh, support you, know you, will uh, love to see this, and and will be so supportive of you. So thank you. Thank you very much, man.